going to continue in our series uh, of Psalms, our summer of Psalms. And we have again a special speaker and preacher here with us this morning. So we have Pastor Scott Fennell. Pastor Scott is the pastor of Straight View Baptist Church down between the bridges. He's already preached this morning. And he's come to preach again, but a different message from what he preached earlier. Because once he's done it once, he's bored with it and he's moving on. Not quite true. But I want to tell you a little about Scott. I asked Scott, give me some information that I can share. And Scott and I got together and really, I just really love the connection. So Scott graduated from high school in 1980. Right after that, what was that? that? Reaction. You've, yeah, it's, it's shocking. In 1980, <laughs> he went to Alaska to find his fortune. And in 1983, he found Jesus. I like that. I like that. Amen. He commercial fished for nine seasons until he finished Bible college in 1990. He's been pastoring ever since. He's been married for 37 years to, as he says, the most beautiful Alaskan woman that there is, Caressa, right there. Caressa, we're glad that you are here. The Lord gave them five children. The oldest is our very own Hannah Baker, and we love that. (laughs) So we have that wonderful family connection. And so they now have nine grandchildren. IBC family, would you please welcome to the front our brother, Scott Fennell. Thank you, Tom. Thanks to be here. Praise the Lord. Yes, I'm Hannah's dad. So that's been my fame to claim, be Hannah's dad. We, we were able to live in Alaska for a number of years, and Hannah grew up there. And all the years of her high school, she was in uh, musicals. And so it was a small town, smaller than Port Angeles, Homer. How many of you guys have been to Homer, Alaska? Yeah, it's pretty famous, yeah, but it's little. And uh, my wife graduated from Homer High in 1984. My daughter graduated in 2004. But um, when she was in high school, she would sing in these uh, musicals and act and all the things that you do in a, in a musical, in a high school musical. And the, the whole town came to see them because what else was there to do in Homer? <laughs> No, because they were good. They were really good. And, they, and then Hannah had all these leads all the time. And so whenever I would go to a coffee shop or something, they'd say, you know, I'd introduce myself, oh, I'm Hannah's dad. They'd be like, oh, you're Hannah's dad. Yeah. So that was my fame to claim, yep. And uh, so I'm glad. Thank you for inviting me here. And um, I've been preaching in Genesis um, for a little bit. And uh, we just looked at the life of Isaac, which is kind of an interesting um, thing. It's just one chapter in the book of Genesis. Uh, It's chapter 26. That's not where we're going to preach from this morning. Um, But uh, Isaac was the son of Abraham. And really, it's kind of interesting to me is that it has one chapter on his life. Yes, chapter 25 is him being taken up to the mountain with Abraham to be sacrificed. And then chapter 27 is his sons, you know, uh, Jacob and Esau and, and, and that kind of stuff in the end of his life and him giving the blessing to his, his younger of the two. Um, but chapter 26 is really the only chapter in the Bible of anything that Esau did. Um, excuse me, Isaac did. And um, 
And yet his father has 14 chapters. Um, his son Jacob gets 11. So it's kind of interesting to me that, that it's just such a little piece of real estate in the Bible, and it's really about two things, and neither one of them are very good. But he is, let me just say this, he is, he is Isaac. And so one of the names of God is the, the father of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So he is a patriarch. But he's not known for any great thing. Um, the only thing he's known for in that one chapter is that when a famine came to the promised land, he wanted to leave. He tried to flee to Egypt. How do we know he tried to flee to Egypt? Because God appears to him and says, do not go to Egypt. Rarely is going to Egypt a good idea. It's usually a picture of going back to the world to fix my problems. And so uh, God says, do not go to Egypt. The second thing he did was wrong was he did leave the area and went down to Gerar where Abimelech, the leader of the Philistines was, was and, and he lied about his wife just like dad did. Father's Day is next week though, right? So uh, dad did that and lied about Sarah twice. So, you know, Isaac did that. So those are the two things. And it tells us that God appeared to him again. And in verse 24, it says, the Lord appeared to him that night and said to him, I am the God of your father, Abraham. Do not fear. One of our young worshipers here quoted Joshua 1.9. Do not fear. We are prone to fear. You know that? And yet the Bible tells us in 1 Timothy, I think it's 1.7, God has not given us a spirit of what? Fear. That is not from God. Fear is the opposite of faith. Do you know that? It is. So we are not to be a fearful people. And yet we have really hard things that happen in our lives. Uh, it's part of the Christian walk. Now, if you were not schooled in that, there are some teachings in Christianity that teach that, you know, you get saved and everything's going to be only good from that point on, happily ever after. We do live happily ever after when you book, read the book of Revelation. But uh, Jesus went through some pretty hard stuff. The disciples all died martyrs' deaths. You know, there's hard stuff in this Christian life. And so uh, this psalm that I chose... Psalm 11 is, uh, is kind of, a, I think, a, a psalm that relates to this. It's a psalm that speaks to the situation all of us are in from time to time, and sometimes most of the time, and that is we're going through a rough time. We're going through something difficult, and so that's what this psalm really is about. Um, and so because of the pressure of the, tar- of the difficult time, you know, God, God's allowed in my life, it's really not going well. What do I do in that difficult time? Well, we can be afraid. That's the normal, natural response. But the supernatural response, if you have Jesus Christ as your Savior, is that, that you, you flee to God. That's how the psalm opens. Look at verse 1. In the Lord, I take refuge. You see that? That's what it says. That's how he starts the psalm. He makes a declaration of faith. That's David's declaration. It is good for us to make declarations of faith, by the way. Even in our prayer time, once in a while when we're giving God our grocery list, it's good to once in a while just say, God is good. God is faithful. And, and I live in, in the presence of a, of a wonderful, powerful God. Amen. And that's my declaration. And so, so David says right away, he says, in the Lord I take refuge. It doesn't matter what's going on. Yeah, I don't know what is going on. I, I'm not your pastor. Um, you may be longing for your pastor after this series. That's probably what it was designed for. <laughs> um, so I don't know most of you, or I don't know, I just don't know any of you. 
once in a while I bump into you. I'm also a school bus driver for Port Angeles School District, so some of you might know me as the, the bus driver, okay? I tell the kids, my first name is Bus, my last name is Driver, you call me Mr. Bus Driver. <laughs> but I don't know most of you, and I don't know what you're going through. So that makes it a little bit weird to, be, to preach the, the message, because I, but God knows you. God knows you, you're, if you're his child and you've prayed to receive Christ as your Savior, the Bible says that as many as receive him, to them gave he the right to become the children of God. You are a child of God. You've been born into the family of God. God knows you. And so I take great comfort in that as I bring a, a message from a psalm here that, that God's going to apply this. God's going to bring his application of his word. And so I've prayed that even this morning for you. Um, but I don't know what you're going through. Um, People often see us when, when we're going through a difficult time. People see us and they want to give us some advice. People see that you're going through a difficult time. And most, in most cases, their motive is that they love you. They want to help you. They want to help you out. They want to get you out from under the, the struggle that you're facing. To get you the medicine you need. To get you, um, you know, fixed in your relationship. I, I, you know, that maybe is a real hard thing. By the way, I don't know if you know this or not, but... Marriage is not easy. Is that a new revelation to some of us? Relationships are not easy. So, that, so sometimes they take work. Most of the time they take work. And so maybe you're here today and there's something in a relationship. Maybe it's a financial struggle. I don't know. You're having trouble. You, maybe you lost your job. That's hard. That's happened to a few people around. Uh, you know? So what do we do when that kind of stuff happens? Um, maybe you're having health issues. Maybe they're really severe health issues. God knows all of these things, see? And people will give you advice when you're facing these things. And they mean well, but sometimes, to be honest with you, the advice is not good. The advice is you need to take this into your own hands. They are in a, in a fearful state when they look at you and they go, oh my, you need to do something. You need to take this into your hand and you need to, you need to you know, try and make this, make, get out from under this trouble. And that's what I think was going on here. So if you look at verse 1, in the Lord I take refuge. So then David says, how can you say to my soul, that's interesting that he says that, the soul, the innermost person. And then it goes into quotes. The quotes go all the way down through verse 3. So the second half of verse 1 all the way through verse 3 is somebody giving advice to David. He says, flee as a bird to your mountain. For behold, the wicked bend the bow, and they make ready their arrows upon the string to shoot in darkness at the upright of heart. If the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? Well, what can I do? I'm in trouble. I'm, in, I'm struggling. I don't know. I'm, I'm, I've failed again. What can I do? I have to take matters into my own hands. No, no, no. David says, I will not do that. I will run to the Lord. I take refuge in the Lord. That's what he says. And then he tells us what his friends have given him this advice to do. We have to be careful about advice and voices that we allow into our mind and our heart, our soul. We have to be careful. You know, uh, Jesus tells a parable of, of the sower and the seed. We're all familiar with that. Um, and, and in the parable, the seed is what? The seed is the, the word of God. That's right. Jesus interprets it, by the way, for us. He tells us that we're the sower and we indiscriminately cast the seed as we go through life. Then he tells us it falls on different soils. Do you know what the soil is? It's the heart. It's the heart of people. 
It's people's hearts. It's my heart. But then he warns us about types of soil. And one of them is he warns us about the path. Some seed falls on the path and it doesn't go in because the path is well-traveled. So it's packed down. Have you ever been on a hiking path and it's just like dirt and it's packed into like concrete? It feels like it, right? And it's just a path that's packed by many people trafficking it. So those are people maybe who've given you advice and you hear too many things that are not biblical and guess what? It will take a, it, it will take a toll on your, under, your willingness to trust the word. It will. So be careful what Oprah says. And Dr. Phil, wait, is he speaking next Sunday? No. <laughs> Be careful what the professionals say, and our voices buy those books, and we hear those voices, and we, 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 then when we hear the word, we're like, yeah, that, that wasn't what I heard on TV, that wasn't what I heard from the book I read. You know what, your books and your, and your advice should be biblical advice, and this was not biblical advice. So we don't just run when it gets hard, we don't just try and get out from under the trial, And um, David had a response here, and he makes this declaration. He refuses to take the safe, protective route and take his life into his own hands. Wow, that is amazing that he does that. And he goes against nature because our nature is to flinch. When something comes at us, we're like, whoa, and we flinch. We react. We take it into our own hands. And so running to the Lord is not natural. Taking refuge in the Lord is supernatural. Did you know that? It takes a supernatural change in your life. It takes being born again in order for you to experience refuge in the Lord, even amongst you know, difficult things. Even like Jeremiah, when he was thrown into a, a cistern, he was able to take refuge in the Lord. You look at the people of the Bible, it tells us their stories for a reason, that they trusted in the Lord. John the Baptist was thrown into prison and then ultimately beheaded, and he trusted in the Lord. Uh, These are difficult things. We face difficult things. And so David is saying here, I'm not going to do what's by nature. I'm going to trust in the Lord. I'm going to trust. And so why should we trust in the Lord? That's my question for you this morning. Why should we trust in the Lord? And David gives gives some reasons in verses 4 and following. And the first half of verse 4 gives us our first reason. Look at verse 4. The Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. Ah. So the first reason that you can trust in the Lord is God is on his throne. That's a good reason to trust the Lord. God is on his throne. And that is what he's saying. He's still on his throne. Well, wait a minute. My life is in a turmoil. I've got, you know, I'm going to chemo treatments or I'm going, you know, I, I'm trying to go down and get food stamps. I'm trying to make sense of what's going on in my life. And I, this situation seems to be on the throne. No, it's not. God is on the throne. God has never left the throne. Maybe there's some trials in our lives, but it's by God's design. And God is still on the throne. And so we can run to him for safety. We can run to him. We flee to him. And we base that idea on the fact that he's in charge. God is in charge. The situation is trying to command you and try to tell you that it's in charge. But it is not. God is in charge. No one is above him. That is what the word sovereign means. God is sovereign No one, no thing, no situation is above God. 
That's why we're here worshiping the Lord. He's on the throne. He is sovereign. He is in control. No one else, no, nothing else, God is on the throne. And we have to remember that. And that's, that's, that's why he wants us to flee to him. That includes your situation that I know nothing about. It is not in control either. He has the rule. He is in control. I love how Jesus expressed this. He did it in such a beautiful way in Matthew's gospel. If you'd like to turn there or just listen while I read in Matthew's gospel, 1029, it says this. Are not two sparrows sold for a cent? All right, so it talks about some little birds and a penny. It says two, two birds are worth a penny. How much is a penny worth today? The, the writer here, you know, Jesus is using the, uh, the analogy of a penny because it's the lowest increment of money exchange. How many of you pick up pennies? Oh, a few. I drive a school bus. Guess what? There's money all over my bus all the time. Pennies? Kids fling pennies, right? And they get citations for such things. But they, they leave pennies. Nickels, dimes, quarters. It's not worth even bending over to pick it up. I'll leave it for the bus driver. You know? <laughs> pennies aren't worth anything today, right? And so Jesus is saying, the value of two birds to you, you don't even think about it. To my wife, they're important because she looks out her window at this tree that's, that's, that's filled with yellow birds all the time. And the other day, she saw a cat on the roof of the house next door, poised on the gutter, just ready to pounce into the tree. And she ran out there, eh, get away! You know? <laughs> and she saved the birds. <laughs> Scared the cat off, right? So God was using her to spare the sparrows. Well, it says, are not two sparrows sold for a cent? And yet, not one of them falls to the ground apart from your father. He's on the throne. He even knows about something of little value, at least comparatively. But the very hairs of your head are numbered. Oh, why does he got to bring that up? There's not many to worry about here. Um, therefore, this is what he says in verse 31, do not fear. There it is. Do not fear. Don't take situation into your own hands. You are more valuable than many sparrows. That's a beautiful passage, isn't it? You know, Jesus rebuked the disciples when they were in the boat and they were in the waves and they went back to the pillow where Jesus was laying and they woke him up and said, don't you even care? We're about to perish. And Jesus stands up, rebukes the wind and the waves. Immediately, it's flat calm. And if you've spent any time on the water, that does not happen, okay? And then he turns to the disciples and he says, oh, you of little faith. Why? Because they were afraid. They were afraid of their safety, of their situation. Jesus was in the boat. It's okay. It's going to get rocky sometimes. Waves will come over. We bail. We help each other bail. That's called church, by the way, right? We don't forsake assembling together. We come together and we help each other. And, and we are in this boat together. That is koinonia fellowship. We're in the boat together with Jesus. Do not fear. I don't... It doesn't matter the situation. It is not in control. He is in control. He is on the throne. And your problem is not above him. 
Number two on why should I trust God is that God sees and God tests. Look at the second half of verse four. His eyes behold, his his eyes behold, his eyelids test the sons of men. The Lord tests the righteous and the wicked. And the one who loves violence, his soul hates. So here it gets, um, it uses, remember, Psalms is a, uh, is a uh, you know, a poetic literature. And so he's using um, anthropomorphic language here. He's attributing uh, personhood, uh, pe- uh, you know, attributes of a person to God. And he says he has eyelids. Well, God is not, does not have a body. We are made in the image of God, which I believe is our spirit. But God, um, and Jesus told the woman at the well, those that worship God must worship him in spirit because he is spirit. So he doesn't really have eyeballs and eyelids, but we get the idea here that God is looking down on earth. And it says there, it mentions his eyelids. You know why it mentions his eyelids? Because sometimes he scrutinizes. And what he does is he squints. So um, when you... You know, I take my coffee card. Yesterday, Chris and I went to the coffee place, and I had to look and see how many punches do I have in there. And I had to pull it up really close because I'm old, and uh, and squint and go, okay, we 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 got to get one more punch to get a free cup. You know, God's looking at your life with squinted eyes, and He's looking to see all the details of our lives, and so He sees what we're going through. He He loves you. He cares about you. Jesus cares. Remember that. Don't ever forget that. God is looking intently at your life. When, when Saul was persecuting the church and going to Damascus to persecute Christians, it says that Jesus appeared to him on the road and says, he says, why are you persecuting me? But, but Jesus is at the right hand, right hand of the Father. He ascended. But Paul was persecuting Christians, and Jesus felt that. And so when Stephen was stoned and they laid their clothes at the feet of Saul, it says that Stephen looked up into heaven. The only place in the Bible it says Jesus was standing at the right hand of the Father while his child was being persecuted. He scrutinizes and he says, that's one of mine. I'm looking intently. How's he doing going through that trial? And so God sees and God tests we don't like tests. Anybody in here love tests? I do not like to be tested. I'm glad to be done with school. I don't like it. But I chose to go through it, you know, self-imposed trials, right? And one thing I hated was when we get to class and the teacher would say, okay, close your books, take out a piece of paper and a pencil. And I'd just be like, oh my word. And I just start sweating. And just, I just, I'm not good at memorizing things. It just doesn't come natural for me. Um, so I didn't do well in tests, but I was always glad that there was a, you know, that was 25% of my grade. Then the other part was reading the books and writing the papers and attending class. That was a freebie for me. I'm going to go to every class because that will help my grade. But God gives tests. Teachers give tests along the way as we go through the class and God gives tests as well. We know that from James, right? Oh yeah. You knew I was going to read this, didn't you? Consider it all joy, James 1 tells us. How can I figure this as joy? Because it's supernatural. Consider it joy, my brethren, that is believers, when you encounter various trials. 
Okay? Knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. There you go. That's God's ultimate. So we have this test, and we have to bear up under the test. I don't know what, you know, your test is, but God, you know, the the inclination is just get out from under the test. Flee from the test. I'm kind of weird. I like to push myself in the areas of endurance. Now, I'm not a weightlifter. I have sons that do that, and I watch them do that. That's fine. But I ride motorcycles, and I have, I, I push myself sometimes solo to see how far I can go in one trip. So I'll, I've set goals that I've done a thousand miles in 24 hours, and, and then I, I kept my receipts and I send them into the Iron Butt Association. <laughs> did he say butt? I think he did. It's called the IBA. Look it up, Google it. Be careful what'll come up when you put the word butt in there, but um, <laughs> the Iron Butt Association. So I've sent him all my receipts and then he sent me a certificate that says, you have completed an Iron Butt Marathon. And I did 24 hours in one period. Then, once you've done that, you can do the next level, the extreme. And I did 1,500 miles in one time. And I got a certificate for it. I can show it to you. They, they, I have to have two witnesses when I start, two witnesses when I end, all the receipts. They have to have the computer reads. So I did 50. I went from Tacoma all the way to Ogden, Utah, stayed on the interstate, came all the way back from 10 at night till 10 at night the next day. It was fun. You're looking at me like, what a weirdo. I like endurance things. It's kind of cool, you know. Ten fuel-ups, one hour. Never took my helmet off for the whole time. But anyway, endurance is a quality that God highly prizes. Do you know that? He wants to see you learn endurance. Perseverance is another word for the same uh, trait or uh, spiritual trait. And so God wants to test us. And God is testing us now. And it is incredibly beneficial for you to be tested. And for me, I need it. I need to wait on the Lord. Taking advice to go the easy way is not the Lord's way. Be careful when people give you that advice. Because what happens is you go the easy way, and then God says, well, you didn't learn that lesson. So we're going to take another lap around Mount Sinai till you learn your lesson, right? And you're going to have to learn it again. You're going to have to, it's better if you learn it the first time around and trust in the Lord and, and, and flee to him and take refuge in him. Number three, why should I trust the Lord? Well, because God is just. That's what it tells us here in the second half of verse five. It says, and the one who loves violence, his soul hates. Upon the wicked, he will rain snares. Fire and brimstone, burning wind will be the portion of their cup. I don't have the time to go into all the details. There's a lot packed in here. Whenever the Bible talks about a cup, it's usually talking about suffering. Jesus said, let this cup pass. Nevertheless, thy will be done, not mine. So this was a portion of, that was their cup. God's appointed suffering in the life of this person. And fire and brimstone reminds us of Genesis 19, which is Sodom and Gomorrah. Immediate and sudden, permanent judgment of God. Be careful how long you hold God off. Now, you might be here this morning because somebody you love invited you. I don't know. That's the beauty of being the guest speaker. I'm not, I don't have anybody. Nobody said, preach to my boyfriend, you know. (laughs) I don't know who you are. But you might be just saying, you know, like I did back when I got saved in 1983 that Tom told you about, 
Caressa was inviting me to church and her family, and I was like, I'm sick of this. Does it say preach at me on my forehead? Why does everybody want to preach at me? And, and I said, quit. I'm not going to do this. I wouldn't be a hypocrite. I just refused. I'm not going to pretend to be a Christian just so, you know, you guys will like me. So I quit going to church. That lasted two weeks because I kept reading the Bible in the dark, you know, in my, in my camper. And you might be here saying, you know, I'm holding God off. The Bible says, be careful about that. He that is often reproved and hardens his neck will suddenly be destroyed, right? So you don't know what a day brings forth. None of us do. So this could be your last. You got to wake up this morning, praise the Lord, and you're breathing. So this is the day the Lord has made. Rejoice and be glad in it. But you don't know. So trust in the Lord today. And that's what these comments uh, uh, just briefly about Sodom and Gomorrah and the this, this snares. So God is just. Now, what, why do I think this has anything to do with David? Well, remember, and it's thought by most commentators that and there's a lot of taters and some are more common than others, but I have some. And uh, it's thought that most, most of them think that this is when David was fleeing from Saul. It, it talks about, you know, the bow and the arrows and Saul and his craziness. He was always throwing javelins at David. And so maybe this was when he was fleeing from Saul. Well, well, if that's the case and he's fleeing from Saul, he needed, he needed to know that God is going to take care of Saul. And David was able to live according to that principle. Remember, twice God put Saul in his hand. Once was in a cave. And, and Saul had come into the cave, and David was in the cave. It was dark. David cut a piece of his garment, his robe off. Then Saul left the cave, went down through the valley and across to the other side of the ravine. And David stepped out of the cave, and he went, Hey, Saul, check the edge of your garment. Look at this. I could have killed you, but I'm leaving you because God is just. And I will run to him for my safety. I'm not taking matters in my own hands. And then the other time was when they snuck into his camp. And then there was Saul laying on the ground. And there was a spear stuck in the ground next to Saul. And one of his uh, men said, let me help you out here, David. Let me take the spear and I'll stick it all the way through. And this problem will be over. And David said, no. I leave that in God's hands. God is just. Most of David's problems were people. People that caused him problem. Ahithophel was his advisor. And then when Absalom leaves and rebels against him, his own son, Ahithophel leaves and goes with Absalom. You don't think that was like stabbing him in the back? David felt that. He's not superhuman. He's human. We know it when somebody turns against us. God is just. And he can take care of that way better than I can. And usually it looks really bad when I'm the one trying to bring rain down the fire and brimstone on that person. God is just. So run to the Lord. Trust in the Lord because God is just. Then number four, and this is the last thing in verse seven, it tells us that the Lord favors the righteous. For the Lord is righteous, verse 7 says, and he loves righteousness, or some translations say righteous deeds. And the upright will behold his face. That's right. Now, it's interesting to me that the beginning of the psalm, it starts with, in the Lord, 
And the end of the psalm, verse 7 says, for the Lord, they're both Yahweh. So you have those as the bookends to this little small psalm. And I picked it because it was a small psalm, partly, you know. I've been teaching through psalms on my Wednesday nights for a couple years. And this one is just a nice, compact, but really dense, full of good stuff. And, and it's got the Lord. If you want to run to the Lord, then verse 7 says, where's your heart? Your heart should be with the Lord as well. So if you're going to run to the Lord, your heart should be with the Lord. And the Lord favors the righteous. God shows favor to you if you're a believer. You know that? I've already mentioned it. You're in his family. Because you're in his family, he shows favor to those who believe. Now people will tell me, Christians will say to me, well, I'm not righteous. In fact, the Bible says there's none righteous, no, not one. As far as standing before God and being able to say to God that, you know, I, have, I deserve heaven, there's none that can do that. But once we've become a believer, the Bible tells us that something miraculous happens and something full of grace and mercy is God imputes Christ's righteousness upon you. So you can say, I'm righteous because of Jesus' work on the cross. See, and there's a whole, whole book of the Bible, book of Romans, that t- teaches on it, chapter 4 in specifically, the righteousness of God that is imputed or, or put upon you, a judicial act of God saying, you are the righteous one. And so God loves you. He favors you. Why? Because I'm a great guy? No. Because of the work of Jesus. He favors me because I'm in his family. I'm teacher's pet. He likes me. He lets me in when, when, when he's all by himself because I can come boldly to the throne of grace. And so can you. I can go boldly to his throne. I have favored people. They call me Papa. They've become my favorite people. Hannah's given me five of them. And most often when I go to Hannah's for coffee... She makes the best coffee in Port Angeles. Um, her kids will bring up things. Um, Milo brought, he got a new dinosaur that you make out of Legos. And it had a jaw that opened. And he came up to me and he was like ready to cry. He's like, he got knocked off the table and the jaw is broke. And I said, let me take it home. And I got out my super glue and Papa's ways and I fixed it. And I brought it back to him and he was like, hug me. Oh, he was so happy, you know. And he just came into my presence and said, Papa, fix my problem. And you know, I didn't go, you know, I've got a lot. I'm an important person. I have an appointment book and a secretary, my wife. You need to call and make an appointment. You know what? I didn't do that. I just said, I will take this home and I will devote some of my time to your problem today because you're my favored one. You're my grandchild. You're my child you're my relative. If you are God's relative, if you are in the family of God, you can boldly go to the throne of grace whenever you want. And you can say, Abba, Father, Papa, Daddy, I got problems. Come to me, ye that labor and are heavy laden. Jesus invited us. I will give you rest. And he says this, my burdens are light. They are burdens. But he says, take my yoke. He's going to join us in bearing the burden. I don't know what burden you bear, but Jesus is under there with you, helping you have endurance. 
So don't listen to the voice of the fearful. Take your cares to the Lord. Let Him deal with it. Father, I do bring this uh, passage again to you for prayer as I've sought to pull out the meanings, Lord, the meaning that you have. So now you need to apply that to the lives of people. And we are so grateful that it is your spirit that is that balm that does that so perfectly. So use your spirit here now to teach us. And thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.